Break out your beach towel and secure yourself a Sonnenlieger. Welcome to Tommy's and Jerry's, the Anglo-German podcast that puts the Frank into your Frankfurt and the Shine into your Eisenbahnscheinbewegung. Each week, we're going to take a graceful swallow dive into one of the ties between the two kindred nations tragically sundered by an occasional tendency to invade Belgium and by Raheem Sterling's right foot. Well, I suppose one of the advantages of Brexit is that at least you didn't have to join the Eurozone and drop your sterling. <sighs> that, listeners, is Katja Hoyer, the German historian and noted wit, based in Sussex. <laughs> and that humorless waste of good German oxygen over there is Oliver Moody, a British journalist in Berlin who seems to be determined to live up to his surname today. If you've noted a certain frisson of froideur in these opening exchanges... It's because today we are addressing the galumphing hippo in the glass factory of German-British relations, rudeness, and its equally treacherous twin, politeness. Katja, what's the rudest thing that you as a German expat have experienced in Britain? People laughing about when I get idioms wrong, English phrases and words, and I do do this a lot because I love experimenting with language, and I think I've got the basics right now in English. But the, my worst enemy is the word comeuppance. I never get it right. I always say something like, oh, he got his upcomings or his, you know, something like that. And then everyone always sits around laughing very loudly. And I always find that exceedingly rude, given that I try so hard to get it right. <laughs> Funnily enough, when I do the same in German, people never laugh. They just correct me in an absolutely deadpan voice. <laughs> That's just as rude, though, isn't like, um, it? I guess so. It's a, bit, it's a bit like sort of the teacher at school reaching out and um, tweaking your, your collar to make sure that it's straight or something. The bane of my life in um, Berlin is older women in supermarkets. Um, there's one occasion where um, one of them just came out of a lift and immediately started haranguing me and my wife for speaking English to each other. And she literally said, you speak German in this country. <laughs> But the... Um, The best one was the little old lady who um, watched my wife cross an entirely empty road on a red light, which is, to be fair, sort of regarded as something roughly equivalent to infanticide in Berlin. <laughs> and then this old lady follows my wife across the street all the way down the stairs and into the supermarket just to tell her off five minutes later. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Something uh, quite similar happened to me when I was still at university in uh, Jena and we were out in the middle of the night, um, went home when the, when the bars closed sort of around three or four in the morning. Um, there was nobody in the town centre anymore and the traffic light was on, on red for the pedestrian crossing. And so, you know, thinking there's nobody around, I just started walking, crossing the road. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this policeman appeared in full uniform with his hat on and gave me a lecture about how the, the light was red and how dare I walk across the street. And when I suggested to him that there wasn't a car in sight, nor a person or anyone, and I felt a little bit foolish stood there all by myself uh, trying to cross the road, um, he actually threatened me with taking my driving license away, even though, you know, I was on, on foot. So people do take that very seriously indeed in, in Germany and, and respond very rudely when, when you get it wrong, as, as far as they are con concerned. Yeah, one of our listeners, Nick Hedge, said he'd been fined 10 euros for crossing at a red light in Frankfurt while two truck deals were going on next to him and there were people publicly smoking crack. And the um, police had agreed that um, he should be punished because his offence was much rarer. And that, that's a principle that I just absolutely love. I think he got away with that quite cheaply, to be, to be honest. If it was only a tenner, I would have had that over my driving license being taken away. 
Right. Perhaps for the sake of Anglo-German concord, we ought to start with the friendly bit of this podcast. Katja, what's the difference between English politeness and German Höflichkeit? Well, it is an interesting one. I, I, I looked it up because I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And when you, when you look up the word politeness, you find something like this um, behavior that is respectful and considerate of other people. Whilst if you look up the word Höflichkeit, uh, it comes up with a virtue the consequence uh, of which is courteous behavior. But it's interesting that the German one has already got this moral thing attached to it, it being a virtue, it's something to, do, to, you know, to be desired in the person doing it. And it's not so much the target isn't the other person, like in the English word politeness, where you're looking to make the other person feel comfortable. The German Höflichkeit is very much about the person doing it, appearing civilized and, and having that as a, as a good quality about them. Mm, I was trying to find a decent definition of Höflichkeit, and oddly enough, the best one I came across was on German Wikipedia, that ultimate arbiter of unimpeachable fact. And it says, Höflichkeit is a virtue whose consequence is a considerate manner of behaviour, which is supposed to express your respect for the person in front of you. Its opposite is Grobheit, which means something like crass rudeness, or barbarism. <laughs> I love that. You've got a choice between politeness and barbarism, and I know which side I'm on. Yeah. Barbarism sounds great. <laughs> well, that's why you live in Berlin. You fit right in. <laughs> There's certainly certainly more on the side of barbarism than than uh, politeness. Uh, yeah, I think originally it sort of came largely from the fact that at at court uh, you you began to sort of in the in the late Middle Ages, early medieval period, uh, you began to see like sort of different social groups mixing. Uh, where previously it would only have been sort of high nobility and suddenly you get lower nobility and later, you know, sort of middle, the middle class is suddenly starting to mingle as well. And I think they just needed a form of certainty, you know, in the way that they were um, communicating with one another. And, and people like the idea of specific rules. I give you the, maybe the most famous German example of this is uh, Adolf Freiherr Knigge. Um, who basically conducted in, in 1788, he wrote a, a, a guide as to how people should communicate with one another. And that guide is still being updated now. So you can still in Germany buy yourself a little Knigge guide and it will tell you exactly how you should behave and in which situation. So one example is personal space. And I've just looked this up in the current Knigge. Um, it recommends that each person needs a 60 centimeter radius around themselves uh, that you need to leave them in terms of personal space. And is that precise? And I think people like the, um, you know, the certainty of it. We actually had a rule like that at my, my public school that um, boys were at no time allowed to come within less than six inches of a girl. Yeah, and they probably felt all the safer for it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is an interesting one, the fact that I think with Germans in particular, they uh, feel safer in the knowledge that there are very specific rules that you stick to. It also stipulates, for instance, who you greet first. And it's interesting that with recent developments, you know, in terms of feminism, for example, they, they've uh, reached a, a bit of a dead end there. Initially, it was, you know, females would be greeted first, um, regardless of the size of the group. And now they've had to row back a little bit on that um, because, you know, women have sort of pointed out that they don't want to be uh, singled out or treated differently. And I think now the rule is you have to greet people in order 
of them sort of the, how, how close they stand to you so you greet the person closest to you first and then just kind of follow the order but that in itself throws up problems what do you do if there's a crowd of people or if you're walking up towards them so I think the more murky it gets the more uh, Germans in particular feel uncertain um, and, and don't like it My favourite um, expression of German politeness culture is it's an old proverb that says um in the house of the hanged man, no one speaks of the rope. <laughs> yeah, it's avoiding uh, topics that might feel might make the other feel uncomfortable. I feel that that's also very much something that is the case in the UK, although people deal very differently with that. So rather than being silent, which is the is the sort of virtue in Germany, then you don't speak if you haven't got you know something to say that, or if you are going to say something that the other person might find uncomfortable. Whilst in Britain, people just change topic and talk about meaningless things. But those meaningless things are very specific, aren't they? I've found that out pretty, pretty quickly. You can do the weather. If you have your 50 words for rain ready, then you can do that. I'm still struggling. I'm probably on about 19 or so now, different types of rain <laughs> getting there. Um, but also just, you know, the weather, football is, I think, always a relatively safe one that, that you can happily talk about if, if the footy was on the, the weekend before. But then, you know, never ever people's personal uh, sort of lives or even the personal lives of other people is considered in, inappropriate, isn't it? So it's, it's quite interesting how it's sort of the same idea. You don't talk about uncomfortable or private matters. And there's also, I, I get the strong impression that British indirectness can be pretty confusing for a lot of German visitors. Um, one of our listeners sent in an anecdote, and I'd better keep this anonymous for the sake of her um, relations with her colleagues, but um, she says that she started a job at a British university um, a few years back without ever having been to Britain before and um, had, had, was completely unused to the politeness and found it dishonest and, and so impolite. And um, in her, during her first year at this university, she was organising a conference and um, she asked her head of department how she should deal with um, a speaker they'd invited who had a reputation for being a bit difficult. And the head of department said, well, I suggest you uninvite her. And so um, our listener um, interpreted this quite literally and took suggest to mean propose a solution and then so decided to disregard it and kept the speaker on the programme. And then the, um, the head of department was absolutely furious when the um, conference started saying, what? You invited her even though I explicitly told you not to do that? Um, but our listener was, was quite pleased about the miscommunication because um, she liked the fact that he thought that she disobeyed him. <laughs> I find this uh, still very confusing. I can totally empathise with that when people don't quite say explicitly what they mean, but it's just assumed that you know what they mean. Um, it's like when people, you ask them uh, whether they attend, say, a party or an event, and they say, oh, I'm not sure I can make it, meaning I won't be there. But it took me quite a while to work this out. I kept like asking people, so are you sure now? Do you know you, you know whether you're coming or not? And people got totally uh, confused by that. So the, this excessive politeness, sorry, I think is probably the, the worst thing. I can't get my head around how often people say sorry here and, and how um, this is expected as well. If you don't say it, um, even in, in weird situations, I say somebody barges straight into you, you're both people say sorry, don't they, on the whole in, in Britain? And I still can't see the point if I'm standing there and somebody runs into me to actually say sorry back to them when it was clearly not uh, my fault. Thank you is another one. I mean, I appreciate that it's polite to say thank you, but Britain's 
tend to say thank you even if they have actually nothing to you know thank you for um i saw a, a study the other day um that was actually conducted in in 2018 but for some reason came up again the other day where um the it was an international survey and they found out that britons um out of all the people that they'd surveyed worldwide say thank you more more often than any other nation but at least you don't have to navigate the um mind-boggling three-dimensional language chess game that is the German conventions for when you call somebody Z, the sort of polite form of the word you, or do, the, the kind of familiar form. It's an absolute minefield. It really is, yes. I Even now, uh, going back, if, if there's people, for example, that um, say my, my parents' friends, who I obviously first met when I was a child, when they were friends with them, so you had to say Z and their last name, so you'd call them... Herr Schmidt um, or Frau Schmidt. Um, now that I'm an adult and I see them again, my parents are still saying "dude" to them and using their first names. I still have to use the, the formal Z twenty years later because they've never offered me the informal. You know, do you have to sort of wait until somebody suggests, or shall we go to first name basis um, and use the informal "do"? It's interesting that that that's very sort of bourgeois and was was seen as such by the gdr authorities and so they deliberately tried to undermine it by using first names amongst themselves so politicians within the gdr for example would always call themselves comrade so and so and then with their first name so it would be comrade walter and they deliberately say do to each other and there are a few exceptions to that where you know there were one or two politicians who came from a sort of upper class or even nobility background and they were so unused to this that they frequently stumbled over this and would call people with their last names, which was then, you know, causing hilarity because it just was seen as a sort of stick up your backside because people were seeing it as a, you know, middle class thing, which was, of course, uh, not very desirable within the um, within the GDR. A, um, a German friend of mine told me a lovely but quite possibly apocryphal story about this when um, the great German Chancellor Helmut Kohl went to Washington to go and meet um, Bill Clinton for the first time in the, the mid-90s. And um, Cole, they sort of had a chat and Cole looked deep into Clinton's eyes and said, Mr. President, you can call me you. <laughs> and what he meant was, sie können mich dutzen. Mm. Like, um, you can use the f f familiar form of you with me we're on we're, we're all friends here but it just sounded like gobbledygook <laughs> yeah it would have done if you're not even used to the concept of it i mean people that haven't actually learned a foreign language and, and english is their native language they they don't even have a concept for this distinction in their in their minds because it is quite a you know sort of specific thing to to the language that you use of course the french for instance also have it but even theirs is a different uh application isn't it, in terms of who you say which uh to Another minefield I find is punctuality, um, you know, and when you're actually expected to, to turn up to things. Uh, I find on... And especially since you like your um, beach house so much. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's got, to be, that's got to be in the right place just at the right time. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, the, on the whole, I find that stereotype is actually true. Germans do tend to be either spot on on time or in most cases actually slightly early just in case you might be late. And it's con considered exceedingly rude not to be there. There's, an, there's another very nice German saying about this. Um, fünf Minuten vor der Zeit ist des Soldaten Pünktlichkeit, 
which means something like um, five minutes ahead of time is the soldier's punctuality. <laughs> I've got a real soft spot for these these little adages that, that rhyme. Um, are, you, are you a very punctual person? Yeah, extremely. And I find it very, very rude when people are late as well. And I just really had to get used to that in Britain that people tend to sort of just, not massively late. I mean, I've seen worse in other countries. Um, people tend to sort of be five or ten minutes late and, and consider that perfectly okay um whilst i'm sort of sat there you know after sort of minute one or two wondering whether i'm in the wrong place or whether i should call them to see if they still turn up uh the only exception actually to that in germany is the so-called um academic quarter which isn't really a tradition in in britain i think some universities do it but not many so in germany if if a lecture at university is set to start say at 10 the lecture will actually start at 10.15. Um, this stems from a time when uh, like the church bell was basically still used to tell the time and the bell would go um, at, say, 10 o'clock and then you had about 15 minutes or so to make your way from wherever you were to the lecture and that was just an accepted fact. Um, but Germans are so... Even that, they can't quite help themselves about the you know punctuality thing. Even that, when you go to lectures, it would either say... Uh, CT behind the time so it would say 10 CT which means uh, cum tempore or Latin for basically with time um, or it would say ST meaning sine tempore without time meaning on time spot on at the exact time even then they can't just go oh it's 10 o'clock and then you just work it out if it's 10 or 10 15 it has to be uh, precise. And there's another thing we ought to talk about here which is um, Berlin which is like walking into a, a sandstorm of abrasive rudeness <laughs> Um, and there's this whole idea of um, the Berliner Schnauzer, Berlin Snout, which is sort of like a, a mixture of uh, dialect and a kind of unvarnished frankness. Um, and at its best, it's absolutely great. There's um, a lovely Berlin saying. It's all about the German proverbs today. Zeuster, stirbster, zeuster nicht, stirbster auch, also seufster, which means you drink, you die. You don't drink, you die anyway, so you drink. But... <laughs> On the other side of the equation, I do think people here often use Berliner Schnauzer as a kind of license to just behave like absolute heathens towards strangers and pass it off as some sort of UNESCO-worthy form of native wit rather than just bargain basement sociopathy. Yeah, I can't really empathise with that being from that <laughs> region myself and being probably just like that when I go back and, you know, sinking back into that. So uh, I don't know what you're talking about there, Oliver. It's clearly clearly something that you just need to get used to. Um, it's it's all, all about the Berlin uh, charm, I'm afraid. that That's just what people are, are like. In actual fact, that just reminds me of, a, of an episode where I was at school um, and we were doing a, um, a poetry uh, competition so you had to sort of recite a, a piece of poetry and then explain why you chose it and why you liked it uh, I would have come first and this is I'm still very bitter about this and then the teacher said to me oh but we can't give it to you because you speak in such a broad Berlin dialect and you said that your things it was such crudeness you know the way that I felt about this poem that we can't give it to you and so they gave it to this <laughs> and so they gave it to this really nice child who had recited it in perfect high german and then explained very nicely afterwards why why this poem was so um you know so so touching to her so I, i'm still very bitter about this so the berliner schnauz i'm all for it there i'm afraid so no apologies from me about that one Oh, catch you. My heart breaks for your teenage self. <laughs> I know. It was a traumatic experience. 
Um, I can now actually switch back and forth between uh, Berlin dialect and High German, and that's that's not in small part contributed to that, <laughs> from to me for me to learn High German and speak German properly. Well, I'm with um, Goethe, um, who visited Berlin pretty much exactly 200 years ago and he later wrote a letter to a friend such an audacious tribe of people lives here that one does not get very far with refined manners but rather you need to have a thick skin and must sometimes be quite rude yeah <laughs> I'm into that <laughs> well I think it's about time we took a break to remind ourselves of the one thing that the Brits and the Germans can definitely agree on here at least neither of our homelands has produced anything approaching the exquisite pinnacle of rudeness that is the French waiter <laughs> Welcome back to Tommy's and Jerry's, the delectable glazed cherry on the Black Forest ghetto of the podcasting world. I'd like to give you a regular reminder that this show thrives on guidance, questions, suggestions, faint praise, withering irony, and downright discourteous criticism from our listeners. You can direct your abuse at the podcast Twitter handle at Tommy's Jerry's or at our personal accounts at HoyerCat and at Oliver and Moody. To get a better understanding of why I so often feel like a plonker in basic social interactions with Germans and why Katya doesn't get invited to parties, we're lucky to have on the show one of the most charismatic Britain-splainers I know. Peter Litger is a German journalist and author who has spent years observing the British and still inexplicably seems to be an Anglophile. He's also written three books decoding the Byzantine rules of the English language and British customs for German readers, and has a regular column on the subject called Der Denglische Patient, The Denglish Patient. Peter, we're so thrilled to have you on Tommy's and Jerry's. Welcome to the show. Would you like to start us off with some small talk? Thank you so very much for having me um, um, and for the kind introduction. After um, those many years that you have mentioned, I'm not sure if I'm I'm good at small talk. Um, I can I can certainly try, and I I want to say I want to paint a point out that um, being on your show makes an already sunny and bright day even sunnier and brighter. Is is that good small talk? That's pretty good. Yeah, you, you put me totally at my ease. <laughs> it's much better than I usually. <laughs> the only thing you missed out was the weather. <laughs> Who, what are the most sort of um, impolite things British people do that you notice? Impolite Brits? Uh, this, this is a very difficult question to start with because it's not very easy to, to single out someone who is, is sort of impolite in, in the way we understand impoliteness. Um, I, I personally take it always a bit, yeah, personally, when, when Brits say to me with the thickest British accent, können jetzt auch Deutsch sprechen? And I mean, uh, we can speak German instead, uh, which is a subtle way to say that my English is bad. But no one would say it straight away. And that's that's part of the problem. Um, being impolite in the UK, um, it's more a matter, I, I, th I think, uh, I have observed uh, a matter of subtleness than it is in Germany. In fact, I'm not even sure if I've ever met a person in Britain who is so impolite uh, as we can be and rude and disrespectful. Um, and, 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 you know, I've been brought up with it. Um, there's a bluntness and brusqueness, hard-hitting style in Germany. You can find and hear a lot. People suddenly sound bossy, underlining their authority, get loud and bitter without any irony or self-irony. And, and in Britain, there's, there's even the opposite, it seems, a particular form of friendliness that can be very unfriendly and a kind of kindness that seems very unkind is when people try to come across as kind and generous. 
uh, say, for example, when they say, oh, Peter, you know, I might join you later. And you know one thing, the person will by no means turn up later. And that's what I find very rude and impolite. <laughs> because then you realize they aren't honest. They, they don't say, I cannot join you, you know, or they don't say it directly, I don't want to join you. They, they try to soften their stance and, and fool me and other people with lies. That's, that's sort of a constant apologizing, a constant say, way of saying sorry. And I, I find this a bit typical. And um, maybe, maybe Brits are, are, mo are very impolite most of the time. Sorry for being so blunt. But this, <laughs> this is my assumption. As we're on the subject of German bluntness, what would you say is the most rude thing that you've ever encountered encountered in Germany or with a with a German? Again, that's so difficult to uh, single out. I mean, you learn to accept rudeness and impoliteness in everyday life. Everyone is just is just has the right to be rude and unfriendly, and people make use of it. And you just don't know when. But your teacher all of a sudden can be unfriendly. The train conductor, the person, the shop. Uh, even your neighbor, I've just had it, the neighbor all of a sudden turned unfriendly and impolite, perhaps because of the noise that came from, from our apartment the other week, Saturday, or, or a smell or something completely different, and it has nothing to do with you. So uh, that's, that's why I don't bother, and, and also this is why it's difficult to, um, to, to, name, to, to name someone specific. I, I remember one story that I thought was very rude in Germany in a hospital um, when I asked, there was a minor surgery I had, and I felt dizzy if I could uh, lie down on a stretcher. And she said, uh, ein anderes Mal gerne, another time. At another time, you may. <laughs> But now we don't have a stretcher. Uh, and that wasn't her intention, I guess, to be rude. She, for her, it was perfectly normal to, to reject that request on, on, on rational grounds. But for me, it wasn't a moment for rational reasoning. It was just, I, I wanted to relax. And, and I think Germans aren't always up for that kind of interlude. You know, and, and generally, I'd say in both societies, it involves a, a form of deciphering and it requires some form of decoding. So what does the person really want to say? It's, and it's about suffering, I guess, and defense and about respect and humiliation and uh, also about provoking others and keeping a distance. And it, that's when it also can get quite satirical and cynical, like the definition, uh, I don't know if you've heard that from uh, by, by Ricky Gervais, uh, he gave it on satire uh, of the two cavemen. Uh, one of them was hitting his hat in a cave and the other one was laughing because he, he knew how it feels like uh, hitting your head. Uh, so um, it was impolite to laugh and it was uh, full of empathy and kindness because, uh, you know, haven't we all bumped our heads? It's not a problem. Get on with it. So um, the nurse in the hospital was telling me about her suffering, perhaps because she was maybe rejected at some point. I don't know. I just uh, don't want to be a psych psychologist of those impolite people all the time. Talking of um, suffering and humiliation, there really seems to be something about medical settings that brings this rudeness to her head. I remember when my wife was pregnant with our second child in Berlin, her German teacher noticed the bump one day and her first question was in front of the whole class, oh, Was it planned? <laughs> and then my wife um, went and told yeah. a German friend about the incident. And her friend said, there's no such thing as a rude question in Germany. Mm. Is that true? Yeah, I remember the, the boss of my ex-wife, uh, when she used to work at Sharing, you know, a leading uh, producer of contraceptive pills. And, and the boss was saying to her when she told him that uh, she was pregnant, oh, oh, I see our product didn't work. 
And I remember that uh, when she told it to me in the evening, uh, I mean, she told it to me more in passing, like a joke uh, and not in any way angry or worked up. But I thought it was hilarious. And I, I, I was the feminist in that moment. I thought the man shouldn't have said it. And I'm sure more people, even my ex-wife would agree with me today. Uh, and when it comes to pregnancy and labor and giving birth, I've written an entire chapter in one of my books on, on the different ways we talk and chat uh, here and there and complain and even brag and gossip about it. Um, it's really striking. Uh, the, the differences are really striking. The, the chapter is called um, Wenn das Leben Arbeit macht, which is, of course, a play on the ambiguity of the English word labor. Where we call it Wehen. You know, the labor is Wehen, and that has a similar roots and the English word woos. And that is a hint, I think, uh, that we are much more explicit because birth woos sound more painful. Also, the, the labor room in German is uh, the Kreissaal, you know, and it's nothing to do with Kreis and circle, but with Kreischen, with screaming. So it's actually a screaming room. And, um, and I remember, uh, you know, when I told people that uh, I had a baby, like I didn't have the baby, my wife had the baby, but uh, we had children. Um, then, uh, for example, a secretary went, uh, like an elderly colleague said to me, oh, did you cut the umbilical cord? You know, and, and you know, you, you suddenly get wound up in, in discussions about medical details and you don't even know if you're entitled to answer because uh, it's like, was it a cesarean? You know, you can get this question or did your wife get a PDA? You know? <laughs> And people are very, very explicit. I can absolutely testify to that. Our mm. German midwife was, was such a blunt instrument that um, we ended up having to um, break out of the hospital and go and run away into a forest for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, there is no inhibition, you know. There's no inhibition to talk about these things. And I, as I was trying to say, I think it's also um, inherent in, in our vocabulary in the words, you know. It's, it's the woos, not the labour. And uh, we, we call it, uh, you know, slime skin uh, and um, not mucous skin. Or we have those explicit uh, medical terms all along. And so I guess uh, there's, there's something that has um, one, it has affected the, the way of talking. I think um, Latin and Greek definitely shelter British people from a lot of medical honesty. Yeah. Um, you, you would never hear about the mother mouth in, in Britain. Mother mouth. Best to do that. <laughs> mother cake, um, even. The mother I've, cake, yes. <laughs> but I've, um, so I've read on um, some expat blogs uh, in Germany that there is, in fact, one rude question, which is, how are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's probably because people understand uh, it as a straightforward question. Like, it has, uh, that should be answered. Like, like, when you ask how much money do you earn or what, what party did you vote for or when did you have sex uh, with your wife and how was it? Uh, it's, it's, it's like this grotesque, uh, you know, the, the skit, the sketch, a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, when, when this stranger approaches a man in a pub you know, your wife is a goer and how is sex with her? I think, I think people in Germany uh, tend to think they have to answer the question, how are you, in an honest way. And, and that um, is sort of the ideal world. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm considering breaking up with my wife. You know, you can hear these things. Or I have been dating my colleague lately. Or I'm not well, a lot of slime in my nose, hole in tonsils. <laughs> Perhaps I have cancer. You know, I'm so worried about my health. You know, these, all these things, you, they, they're... They, they, they rattle on about um, those details. Uh, and, and of course, um, it can be very rude and insufferable if you, if you take it seriously and feel forced to talk about all your sufferings. 
And, um, and then the answers are also quite rude and painful for the ones to listen to. Why do you think these uh, things are so different in, in Britain and Germany when actually the two nations have got quite a lot in common, haven't they? So, so how come we speak to each other with such different differences in terms of you know, politeness and what isn't, isn't polite? Yeah, one explanation I have uh, come across uh, is along the lines of class-mindedness and the awareness that there are class differences and you don't want to get too close to a stranger, neither by asking nor by, by answering. And that ventures into sociology and um, perhaps has a footing in different sense of, of, of equality in Germany. Like here, people tend to think we are kind of, uh, you know, similar or equal and so we don't have to thank for, for things or apologize so much. Uh, you know, against this background, um, thank you or sorry can have profoundly different meanings. Like, I, I thank you, I cannot assume that we are in the same social group or class, so, so be close enough uh, to, to sort of for you to, to naturally be generous towards me. That, that's what I have um, read, and I find it, uh, I find it a bit plausible that um, people want to um, perhaps um, stay away or keep a distance. Uh, in, 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 in Britain, but then again, what is, what is Britain? I mean, it's a very complex and, uh, you know, vast society, we shouldn't, we shouldn't generalize. But, um, but here, I, I, I mean, when you say thank you, it could also mean, you know, I hadn't trusted you could count, I could count on you for that, or I thought you don't own as much as, as I do, and the majority of people do. So there, there are implied, um, uh, you know, there are implied judgments uh, with, with, for example, thanking and apologizing. And that is, um, I mean, it doesn't explain why Brits apparently apologize when they leave an empty room or when they, when they switch off a kettle, but that's perhaps just a, a sort of John Cleese sarcasm. Um, I think it's, um, it's to do with a different class-mindedness. One, one thing I think that um, absolutely backs that up is the um, etiquette of, of letting people go through doors. Because I've, I've noticed in the professional context that it's often a gesture of dominance when you... When, sometimes you'll get men competing to let each other through the doors because the one who goes through the door last ends up being the sort of alpha male. It's, it's such a weird ritual. If, if, you, if you're saying it in chimpanzees, you'd, you'd sort of write stuff in a scientific paper. And um, I think it's because um, the person who ends up ushering everybody else through the door is kind of taking charge and setting the rules in this in this social situation. There is actually a little section on that in the Knigger uh, guide, which we uh, mentioned earlier, basically, where the guide suggests that um, when you enter a room, you let the person go in first. That is the most dominant because that's the person who draws all the looks. So basically, if you let the, the most shy person in first, that's the person that's going to get stared at by the people already in the room. Say, imagine a, a restaurant or a bar or something like that. So the, the Knigger actually recommends sending the most confident person in first <laughs> to then draw all of the uh, attention to themselves. Okay. Well, when is when is that book for that that latest Knigge from? When when was it published, Katja? That's a good question, actually. Um, so this this is one that I, mean, I just roughly, looked up like... online briefly. I, I think they get updated every couple of years, to be honest. Um, but mm -hmm. the the guidance that I just remembered is just that something I read somewhere. I don't know if it's in the latest because these rules change all the time as well, don't they? One thing I hear quite often from my German friends is that Britons have a habit of not saying what they mean and then calling that politeness. How do you get on with British indirectness or even evasiveness, you might call mm -hmm. it? Yeah, that's what I was trying to um, uh, um, say earlier. Um, and um, 
I mean, the internet is full of memes, you know, to, that help you to get on. You know, perhaps, and I'm sure you know that table. Um, what what the British say and what the British mean and what others understand. You know, the Brits saying that's not bad, and then uh, people think, oh, he wants to tell me it's good, and in fact, he wants to say it's useless. You know, or um, that's a very brave proposal. People think he thinks I'm I have courage, and and he wants to say you're insane. You know, and then it's probably the antidote that you need is to to just try and understand what I tried to say earlier. What does he want to tell me instead of just believing it literally? I mean, it's a bit like, you know, the thing that we tend to think about people who have some kind of some form of autism who take things very literally. The famous chocolate box and. Um, um, it's you know there is there is a chocolate box uh, involved in a, in 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 usual you know in, th in those kinds of conversations. I, w I mean, what I find very staggering is that Brits. Um, I mean, how do they get on with it uh, when they are amongst themselves, and how do they and the fact that they they mess with each with each other. For for example, I remember being at the train station in York uh, two day, two years ago, and there was a, a sign saying "Train expected 1800." And and it was 1815, and the status was on time. And I, I don't know um, how um, the train company gets away with it, um, but it, apparently it works. And um, and you know these these kind of almost grotesque stories are probably part of the success of that website, Very British Problems. You know, which is full of antidotes how to how to deal with it. You know, this is by the way where I learned about the apologies to kettles and empty rooms. <laughs> um, Brit goes, to, yeah. Brit goes to the hairdresser, and when he doesn't like the hairdo, what does he do? He doesn't complain, but he, he's sad, you know, which is again a kind of suffering. I remember um, a couple of years ago, um, I talked to a manager at H and M, the the the, the retail company. Uh, and it was about their sort of um, European markets, and they told me that Germans pay um, the the smallest um, prices the least, and and complain the most, and return the most. And Brits are the you know they basically form the best market because they pay uh, the highest price for a T-shirt, and they would never return it. They never complain, and it tell this this example hinted at um, something that I also believe that perhaps British people are more embarrassed to say things in a in a and we have less inhibitions to say things in a direct manner and um, and how do i get on with it you you just have to um accept it i think it's always about acceptance isn't it peter you you mentioned um very british problems which for listeners who haven't come across it is a very popular twitter account that sets out all of the uh problems you run into when you're you're sort of very diffident and characteristically British and don't want to make a fuss. What would um, a Twitter account of very German problems look like, in your opinion? I mean, the, 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 yeah, the, funny, the funniest uh, examples uh, probably stem or come from the, from, the, uh, from the awfulness of German customer service. <laughs> well, I think we could fill a whole podcast series with the subject, but my fine-tuned instincts for Pünktlichkeit are telling me that we've just run out of time. Um, Peter, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on as a guest. And I say that with full German sincerity. Um, Peter's first two books about the English language, The Devil Lies in the Detail and Lost in Train Station, are available in German. And I believe you've got another one coming out in the not too distant future. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for thank you very much for mentioning it. It's it's called Hello in the Round. Although uh, my British friends uh, advised me to uh, uh, call it uh, Hello Together, but then uh, uh, you know, 
when we asked uh, German uh, um, hopeful and prospective readers, they thought this is correct English, hello together. <laughs> so we decided for hello, hello in the round. Another alternative was hello also from my side in the round. <laughs> And the subtitle uh, is uh, the trouble, the trouble with unserem English, the trouble with our English, and wie man ihn shootet and how to shoot it. So I hope I can offer a bit of troubleshooting. It seems even finding about, a book, yeah. even finding a book title that works on both sides of the channel is <laughs> tricky. It's well, very tricky. Herzlichen Dank, Peter Litger, and auf Wiederhören to all of our listeners. Goodbye from Sussex. And Duftevaz, ich mache ein Abjang, which I think is Berliner Schnauzer for goodbye. And I do hope I haven't insulted anybody's mother there. I just like to add, es war schön mit euch. It was marvelous. Thank you for having me. Gleiche Weise, Peter. Thank you for coming on. Bye.